your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Cade Warner shifts right. Shotgun look. First and goal. Martinez gives it off to Mills. He gets down to one. Leads. And they go up. Touchdown. One official says touchdown. Now they both do. It's a touchdown for Nebraska. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Austin Orman. Thank you. Welcome to another edition of Sports Nightly here live on a Friday night ahead of Nebraska and Northwestern. We are just about 12 hours away from kickoff, or excuse me, from pregame coverage right here on the Husker Sports Network. Kickoff seems a little excessive at 6 a.m. That means uh, pregame would start at 1 uh, we're not that crazy. 6 a.m. pregame coverage here on the network. Opening drive with Greg Sharp and Jeremiah Searles. And the Huskers and Cats kick off just a minute after 11 at Ryan Field in Evanston. We've got a lot coming your way here on Sports Nightly. As always, a jam-packed Friday night edition. We will head up to Evanston and chat with the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp, now that the team has landed and the suburbs of Chicago and get the feeling around the team uh, just uh, a little over 12 hours from game number two of the 2020 season. We'll also, this hour, have a chat with Will Honus, a preview of our Cornhusker conversation that we'll hear tomorrow on Husker Game Day with myself and Brendan Stye, so we'll get a preview of that as we do each and every Friday. Coming up in hour two, it's our Big Ten picks and a couple of top 25 picks sprinkled in there as well. Uh, How did we do last week? It has been a really difficult challenge picking correct Big Ten teams so far in 2020 it has been a crazy year and uh we'll see if the pick starts slanting that way if if we're willing to start taking some more risks and some more gambles with our selections or not so we'll get into that coming up in hour number two also in the second hour ian rapaport from the nfl network and nfl.com will stop by get us updated on everything around the nfl updates with christian mccaffrey antonio brown playing this week and if the 49ers are going to be able to assemble a team uh, for the rest of the season, that will be to be determined based on uh, what we saw in the report last night. Coming up in hour number three, Tim Curran will walk us through our weekend preview. Everything on tap here this weekend and where you can find it and all your viewing pleasure at 8.05. Also, coming up in hour number three, our weekend review, the best of sports nightly this week, all wrapped into one segment, and we'll hand out some winners and losers for the evening as well of course if you want to be a part of the show phone lines are open for you 531-500-4686 that is our woodhouse auto family hotline bringing you more choices in brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse you don't feel like chatting with us send us a text that is also our u.s cellular text line as well 531 500 4686, the number to get into the show. Final thoughts that you have before Nebraska and Northwestern. How are you feeling about this game? What concerns you? What gives you optimism? And what you heard this week uh, ahead of Nebraska and Northwestern in Evanston. Um, Austin, let's just uh, start with our assessment of, of where we're at, you know, um, about 17 hours from kickoff between the Cats and the Cornhuskers. I think for me, the more I look at this game, uh, the more I'm curious at at how Nebraska, specifically offensively, 
attacks Northwestern and their defense. Their defense is stout. Their defense isn't going to make mistakes. It's kind of that something's got to give mentality for me with if it ain't broke, don't fix it for Northwestern. And Scott Frost's creative mind offensively has had a week and a half to implement a plan for Northwestern's offense. And as we've seen with Ohio State, granted it's not, what is it, eight months to prepare for a game. It, it, it is more than a week. So I would expect to see a few wrinkles in the offensive game plan tomorrow. And, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what Scott Frost has offensively. I suppose for you, what are your expectations tomorrow and, and hoping to see particularly from Nebraska's offense? Well, I'm with you. I, I think it's a fascinating matchup because Nebraska wants to run the ball. It made a concerted effort to do so last week. 22 carries from the quarterbacks alone, another 13 from running backs Diedrich Mills and Ronald Tompkins. And they rush for almost six yards a carry. I think that's really solid. And if you can rush for six yards a carry against Ohio State, that you should be able to do it against darn near anyone in the country. But that Northwestern linebacking core is so good. I trust the the offensive minds on the Nebraska coaching staff to come up with a, a good plan to run the ball. But I'm interested to see if Nebraska can really get the passing game going. Only 20 attempts last week against Ohio State. Very efficient was Nebraska has completed 16 of the 20. But I think Nebraska needs to start developing downfield threats. Maybe that's an Omar Manning making his debut. Maybe it's getting creative with Wandale Robinson. Maybe it's Levi Falk or Cade Warner. But I want to see Nebraska go vertical a little bit this week. I think the secondary is gettable. I think for me, and this is a lingering feeling I've had since Ohio State, but you know, I found myself feeling this more and more as, as this game approaches I found myself wanting to see more from a lot of different players, and uh, it's it's hard to say that considering Nebraska had the the total yardage and the yards per play that they had against Ohio State. I know the 17 point total isn't near high enough, but I I, I want to see more from Wanda. I want to see more from Dedrick Mills. I want to see more. I guess I want to see Omar Manning. I can't say more because I haven't seen him yet. I want to see more from Elante Brown. I want to see more from Ronald Tompkins. It's it's rare that you play a 60-minute game and have the, the amount of success offensively that you do in terms of yardage. And I just listed off like six names right there that, that I, I want to see more from. And maybe it's because we've been talking about these guys for as long as we have. Maybe it's because... Nebraska's offensive game plan relied a lot on quarterbacks and quarterback running game and getting Luke McCaffrey involved. But I feel like now that we know we, we know what we're getting from Adrian, and I feel like we're starting to learn what to expect from Luke, I think it's those other guys and my curiosity factor of what types of players they can be and what potential this offense could be if you could consistently get Wandale the ball with Coach Lubick, if, if you can take a few shots with Omar Manning, if you have a package for Elante Brown, what happens when you give Ronald Tompkins 10 to 12 carries? I think that's kind of where I'm. my lingering feeling is with the offense. And I get it. There's a lot of mouths to feed, and you're only guaranteed so many snaps offensively, especially against a team like Northwestern. That's just I feel like that's been gnawing at me a little bit. I think some of it is they need to maximize their opportunities. Maybe if Wandale gets the ball in stride a little bit sooner, you know, he can make that one extra guy miss. Maybe 
the offensive line holds its block for one more split second, there's a bigger hole for Diedrich Mills or Ronald Tompkins. But I think that's a good sign for Nebraska that we saw 370 yards of total offense against a really solid defense and are still left wanting more. I really do think that's a positive sign where we're not, oh, we did everything we could and still lost. It's we left yards out there. We can see more from these guys. And I think this is a week you really can prove it. Northwestern's a good defense, but I don't think it's on the level of Ohio State. So I think Nebraska can play around a little bit and try to get these guys really in those situations to succeed. And when they're there, it's on the players to really take advantage of those opportunities and maximize them. The thing that Northwestern does so well defensively is they play to their scheme. They play a lot of zone, which requires players to not necessarily just line up and win uh, with the guy across from you, but it requires you to know where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. The timing needs to be there. Uh, I, I'm remembering a play a couple of years ago that, that was perfectly drawn up. It was the first touchdown Nebraska had on their first drive against Northwestern and Evanston. They hit J.D., who just slipped behind the linebackers. Adrian made a great throw between the linebacker and the safety. J.D. ended up scoring on the play. Th- those are the types of routes that you have to hit tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's not Omar is better than their guy, and we're just going to throw 50-50 balls. It's because that's that's – that's not how the Northwestern's defense is designed to play because they have they do get help from other areas. It's not just one-on-one matchups because, as you said, it's, it's not Ohio State's defense where you've got first-round talent all over the field. They have, to be collect- they have to play collectively as a unit to be successful in that scheme. That's something they do so well is they keep everything in front of you. They know their job, and nobody makes mistakes. And, you know, that's something that I'm eager to see how Coach Frost attacks tomorrow. What do you think? 531-500-4686, the number to get in the show. We'll break down a little bit of what we expect from the black shirt defense throughout the show. Thought we'd start with a little offensive chatter as we get the show started. Again, 531-500-4686, the number to contribute here on Sports Nightly. Welcome back, Sports Nightly, here on the Husker Sports Network, just off and rolling on our Friday night edition of the program. And we head over to Chicago to welcome in our next guest, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. How's the trip? I'm assuming everybody made it all right. Yeah, it was uneventful. Um, I'm trying to figure out where exactly I am. I think I'm in Northbrook. I think that's where I'm actually where the team is staying tonight. So we're not in Evanston, per se, but we are uh, maybe... 10 minutes northeast of O'Hare International Airport, so kind of halfway between the airport and Evanston. So that's where we are tonight. Uneventful flight, great weather here. We got off the plane, and it's supposed to be good for the game, for the game tomorrow. Seems to me, Greg, in talking with some folks today, that, uh, that, that this team's pretty confident right now, and the coaches feel, feel pretty optimistic about tomorrow. Where are you at with this game tomorrow with Northwestern? Yeah, I, I think there is a quiet confidence with this team. I think they felt pretty good about the Ohio State game. They know where they made their mistakes, and they know how that game got away from them, and they believe they can clean that up and play even better than they did in that game. And that effort, I think, will do them well in most Big Ten contests. So now now it's putting it together. Now it's going and getting it done. I think there's a bit of an edge to this team because they just kind of feel like everything's worked against them the last couple of months. 
And so I think they'd like to take out a little frustration now. They're going to need to play well. This is a really good cat team. And as we've seen in this series since we joined this league, these games become instant classics. So they're going to have to play well tomorrow. But I believe that they, deep in their heart, they feel like they're going to play well. And I like that. I like that the team has a confidence level about them. And that's not easy to do, Ben, when you haven't had as much success as you would have liked with this program over the last three or four years. And when you go to the other sideline, Northwestern's probably the team that should have the confidence, given how they've started the year with a blowout against Maryland and a comeback win against Iowa. If you're a Northwestern fan, how are you feeling entering this game? Yeah, I think they feel really good. I mean, just because of what you said, they took care of business week one, and then they dug a hole, made some early mistakes on the road against Iowa, a team that they've kind of pigeonholed uh, as their rival that that's been done here for about the last couple of decades they've picked out Iowa to be their rival so they go win their rivalry game on the road and so I think there's a real confidence in in Peyton Ramsey the quarterback for the transfer from Indiana who's running their offensive attack I think when you have a new coordinator like they do and you've gotten off to a good start offensively, your guys believe in that coach. So I, I think that there is a confidence level for Northwestern, and, but they, they also know how tight the battles have been with Nebraska the last couple of years. So I think they, they have a respect for the Huskers uh, because of the way those games have come down to the, the final few minutes. I mean, it's either been overtime or the walk-off field goal for the last three matchups between these two teams. And I think both teams respect each other, but also believe deep in their souls that they can win. And that, that should set up for an interesting game tomorrow afternoon. When you look at Northwestern, last game last year, Nebraska's defensive line really did a nice job and kind of dominated Northwestern's O-line, which doesn't happen a ton when they play. Uh, you mentioned Peyton Ramsey. You, they, they run three tailbacks. They got a couple of playmakers with McGowan and Chakia Bowman on the outside. When, what stands out about Northwestern's offense and what Nebraska has to do well tomorrow? Well, I think the versatility of Ramsey. I mean, any quarterback that's mobile, and he is, can give you troubles. And so that's the added wrinkle that they have now. I mean, Clayton Forson was their quarterback for like 12 years, and he was he could run a little bit, but he didn't have much speed. Ramsey's got a little bit of giddy-up to his step, so you've got to be careful with him. But he also is a pretty accurate thrower. You go back to the numbers he put up against the Huskers last year in that game when he was at Indiana. He was really solid. He did throw a pick in that game, but he threw for over 300 yards. And, man, I got, I got tired of saying Wap failure again with a catch. I think he had 14 in that game for Indiana. So he's a pretty diversified quarterback. I think I used this comparison earlier in the week. He reminds me a lot of Noah Vedrill, who was with the Huskers and now the Rutgers starting quarterback, because he can run a little bit. I don't know that he's quite the athlete that Noah is, but he can run just enough that you can't just leave him alone back there because he could take off and really keep a drive alive by picking up a scramble on third and long to keep it going. There their backs are solid. I wouldn't say great, but solid in Bowser and Anderson. Uh, but yeah, a couple of decent wide receivers, and they've started working a tight end into the mix. And John Rain, who's a transfer from Florida Atlantic, he already has five catches in just two games for them. Tight end has not been something you've had to worry about in the Northwestern offense in the past. You'll have to keep your eye on that guy, and he wears number zero, which is a new number this year, uh, being allowed now in college football. 
When you go to Northwestern's defense, the first thing that stuck out to me watching tape on them this week is they run a lot of zone, especially with those linebackers in the middle of the field. They might do some matchup-type zones, maybe even some man-to-man on the outside. What does Nebraska have to do well, particularly in the passing game, to make sure you're making the right decision and finding holes in those zones? It kind of puts a, a decent amount of pressure on your wideouts. Yeah, I've got to run good routes, right? You can't be where you're not supposed to be. And so if Adrian Martinez or if it's Luke McCaffrey at the quarterback spot, if they're throwing to a spot, you better be there. And so you can't make a mental mistake on that. But you're right, Northwestern's defense is a lot of keep everything in front of you, don't give up big plays, make teams put together 9, 10, 11 play drives to beat you because that's hard to do in college football, the offenses. Unless you get a huge chunk and get you down there close, Northwestern's philosophy on defense, don't give up the big play, make people nickel and dime their way down the field to get into the end zone. So you have to have some patience in there. And, you know, Northwestern also will be known to throw some wrinkles, kind of save some things in their holster to throw out there late in games defensively, where all of a sudden they might do a zone blitz or something where you're just not quite ready for it and then you make a big mistake. So you got to avoid that. But it's not anything that Adrian Martinez hasn't seen Bannon in now his third season as a starting quarterback for this team. So I think he'll be well equipped to attack this team. But for those inexperienced wide receivers, you better run the route that's called. You better be where the quarterback thinks you're going to be or it could be an embarrassing mistake. I've been asked more times about Omar Manning this week than I have about any particular wide receiver, maybe ever, um, from from people excited to see number five in white play. What's a fair expectation of how much he's used and how much he's incorporated in the in the plan tomorrow? Yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. Um, I think they've tried to downplay the expectations for Omar, even really since he got on campus. So we'll see. I, I'm sure he. It may be baby steps, but I think if you if you brought him along and your intent is to play him, get him out there. Let him kind of play through maybe the early nerves of playing at this level. Um, let him play through some mistakes that he might make early in a game. Um, he's too talented to be standing on the sideline. So I, I would get him out there. But how much is he a part of it? How much do they design just for him? That'll be interesting to see. I would anticipate... You try to get him involved early. Try to get something to him early in the game and so that he kind of can settle in and play and not be too jacked up for this thing. So you're right. This is a really interesting guy because this was – we all fell in love with his junior college tape. We all fell in love watching what he did and dominated at that level. Uh, And then to not have him available for week one was disappointing. But now he is, so let's see what he he has. But I I would anticipate something early to him in the game. How long, how many snaps does he get? That, That I don't know. I think it is fair of us to put a fair amount of expectation on number one's shoulders tomorrow. He had a really big game against Northwestern last year, and Nebraska needed him to. Had a touchdown, had another big, uh, you know, kind of a, a shuffle pass right in front of the line that went for a huge gain. Wandale had over 150 yards and over 100 yards receiving against Northwestern last year. I mean, to me, this is this is some – I know Nebraska tried to get him involved a little bit against Ohio State, but I think you finished with five catches and under 30 yards. How much are you expecting maybe the staff to, to run some things for Wandale and, and get him loose a little bit? I think they do. I mean, you heard Matt Lubick the Tuesday after that Ohio State game saying, yeah, we didn't get him enough touches. 
And, and so they know he, he's one of the better playmakers on this football team. And just like Luke McCaffrey, you can't forget about him. You can't forget about Wandale. And I, I think you're going to see Scott Frost cater this thing to get the ball in the hands of those playmakers. The one thing I think Nebraska with guys like Wandale and Omar Manning and Luke McCaffrey is they're probably a little bit clip better athlete than some of the guys Northwestern will have out there. So by saying that, you better try to exploit that athleticism and get the ball in the hands of those guys. I I, I didn't walk away from the Ohio State game, Ben, feeling like they ignored Wandale. I felt like they tried to get it to him a handful of times, but the coaches certainly didn't think they got it to him nearly enough. I think they feel like he needs to be getting 10 to 12 touches a game, and as you mentioned, just the five catches in the opener against the Buckeyes. So, yep, I think that's another guy that you, you want to get him his motor revved up in this game tomorrow. Well, and I'll give you one more name, and that's a name you threw at me when we chatted right after the game was over, and that's Dedrick Mills. I, there, I think he finished with nine carries against Ohio State. What what type of workload do Nebraska's backs, and even put it on the quarterbacks, have to do on the ground tomorrow for this offense to really be successful? Yeah, I think you want a good mix. I think you want a good mix, and, and probably maybe they tried to get so many other things going against the Buckeyes that, that they forgot a little bit about Diedrich. He's going to get his fair share of carries, and, and I think it's also dependent on what, what they see from Northwestern. If Northwestern is going to try to shade some more guys out wide to, to help out with Omar and Wandale, that should leave the middle open a little bit and let that offensive line go to work and let Diedrich run behind what we all believe and what we saw in the first game would, would bear that out, a pretty good offensive line for Nebraska. So, yeah, don't forget about him. This is what's exciting about this, Ben, is if we've rattled off a handful of names now on the offensive side of the ball, you're like, he needs more touches, he needs more touches. Mm -hmm. There's some good parts to this offense now, and I don't know that we've been able to say that the last couple of years, but right now you're kind of feeling like you're cheating some guys because you're not getting them the ball enough, and Mills would be another one that comes to mind after week one. Absolutely. Too many miles better than not enough, and I think uh, yeah. Nebraska is, is inching toward that right now. Okay, well, Ryan Field, I don't know if you've seen the field yet, wondering if the grass is knee-high, if they've got that thing nice and manicured, <laughs> and you know, you're running, running, like, running, like, running, like running through a pool of water get, getting anywhere on that field, but what are you expecting for conditions tomorrow? Yeah, great weather. You know, we were here two years ago, and you were down on there, and I thought the field was in really good shape. I was told the story that when Nebraska first came up here nine, ten years ago uh, for their first trip up here, and the field was just in terrible shape, they were going through a uh, a union strike and, and then, then their workers for the field are part of a union and they were on strike or they were they were having a, a tiff with the university so they were ignoring they basically just had one guy come out and mow the field a couple times so they really didn't have their groundskeeper so I think they've gotten that situation rectified uh, I thought it was in pretty good shape today I saw some pictures on, on social media earlier today where it looked pretty good so I would anticipate a good track they've only had one home game so far this year and it didn't rain during that the weather's going to be great tomorrow so i think the field conditions will be fine for this one now it's just up to the huskers to go out and play and it's time to start winning some of these games i think we would all agree with that so let's hope for a good performance by nebraska that the outcome ends with the right team on ahead on the scoreboard all right very good well less than 12 hours from now you'll be uh you'll be on the air with the opening drive with jeremiah searle so we'll cut you loose uh try and keep it contained in uh, whatever room number you're in 213 or whatever <laughs> Try, try and pipe it down and uh, get some rest for a long day tomorrow. Hopefully call a Husker winner. 
You bet. I'm going to kick on some college football but on in the tube and finish up some game notes and get ready for the early start. Welcome to another edition of our Cornhusker Conversation. Happy to welcome into the program now Nebraska linebacker Will Honus. Will, we are uh, we're, we're officially into things now. Season has gotten started. I'm sure it feels somewhat normal now that you're you're into game prep and you're preparing for opponents as as we've dealt with so much unknown uh, over the last six or seven months. What, what's the feeling now that you finally have football back? Something that you love to do, and you know you're not really chasing down rumors or anything. You're worried about focusing on an opponent. Yeah, it's definitely really good to be back. Uh, it's been a long process, and we've been working pretty much nonstop since COVID hit and just trying to stay active, trying to stay in shape. And we've been doing like Zoom meetings, trying to keep football on our minds and just not get out of it. I mean, it was tough. Uh, we had months of just doubt and not knowing what was going on. So finally being back on the field is really big for us. And I think everybody was super excited when the season got put back on. Well, what's been the attitude in, in your room? We've talked with Colin about it. Um, you know, losing a, a guy like Mo Berry, who meant so much with the leadership aspect, the communication aspect. What's been the dynamic without him? And then obviously welcome in some new players as well. Yeah, obviously losing Mo hurts. He's a good player, a good leader. And uh, me and Colin have really tried to step up and lead these younger guys. Our room is pretty young, so it's been important for us to try to like, show them the way and bring them along and get guys ready to play and keep improving and learn the way. You're still a relatively new player to our program, um, but you've already been through a lot in your Husker career. What, with the injury and uh, obviously, you know, changing hands to be becoming a starter and being that every down type player. What, when? Let's go back to the injury, Will. When that happened, what was kind of the mindset for you? You know, you come over from junior college and you happen to get hurt pretty early on in your career. What, what did you take away from that? You know, being able to, you know, try and learn from the side, but also having to rehab at the same time. Uh, yeah, uh, when I got hurt, it was kind of about trying to take mental reps, trying to stay in the game, trying to not get lost. It's tough in rehab. You're kind of by yourself. You're not with the team all the time. So it's really important to try to stay in it mentally and not lose yourself. Kind of similar to what I did in high school. Uh, it's definitely tough missing football. It's what we live for. And uh, I really think just going through re rehab, you really learn to appreciate football and a little more. And when you get back, it's that much more special. And the other thing that you probably learn to appreciate is those relationships that you have when you're not having your best day, when you're mentally fatigued or you're just frustrated, and when you're having those bad days in rehab. Who did you really lean on, Will, to help you through and you know to help keep you in the right headspace? Yeah, a lot of credit to our training staff, particularly uh, Drew Hamblin. Uh, he did my rehab, and he was huge, and me coming back and leading me along the way. And then also, uh, while I was hurt, I kind of – had like a group of guys rehabbing at the same time. Tay Wildeman and Cam Jurgens were both with me rehabbing from injuries. So kind of got close with those guys and really appreciative of them helping me through it. You came from junior college, and you know we've had a, a few of you guys from from JC in the past, and everybody's junior college experience seems to be so different depending on where you were. You were still here in the Midwest. When you think back to your days at, at junior college, what what's one or two things that you really appreciated about that experience, and you've come to learn and take with you here at Nebraska? Um, I'm just really appreciative of the opportunity that I got in junior college, you know, uh, out of high school. I tore my ACL my senior year, so I didn't have a lot of, like, scholarship offers or anything like that. 
So I was super excited to be able to keep playing at Butler, and I'm grateful for that coaching staff and the guys there. It was really like a truly family atmosphere, which is probably different than most junior colleges. That's a pretty competitive conference uh, to play in junior college. What was your first, you know, six months or so on campus like? Learning what college football was all about, and as you said, coming off an injury, it's probably it was probably a long time before you were, um, you know, on the field hitting somebody, let alone at this level. What what was your first kind of experience of college football like down there? Um, it wasn't a big. Uh, adjustment for me. I've kind of, my older brothers both played college football, so I kind of knew what to expect, uh, what it took as far as how to work and come in and uh, prove that you belong and show what you can do. You mentioned you had brothers that played. Tell us a little bit about them and what it was like growing up with with brothers. I know how competitive and and feisty it can be when you, you know you guys are growing up. What 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 did you learn from them growing up? That I mean, I'm obviously you probably didn't learn or appreciate it maybe when it was happening. But now that you guys are older and have matured, you know what what the, that relationship has meant for your uh, personally, but also your competitive nature as well. Uh, I'll just say playing backyard football or backyard baseball, basketball growing up. I mean, we didn't spend much time inside. I have three brothers and we were always playing sports and competing. And, you know, every time we go out there, whoever loses gets pissed and tries to start a fight. So I'd say that's definitely kind of made me into who I am today. So my brothers are people I look up to and appreciate. Well, where did sports start for you? You think back to uh, older brothers. You probably had them as idols. You probably had other people that you grew up watching as well. When when did you realize that sports was going to be a big part of your life and something that you really enjoyed? Um, I'd say uh, my older brother played at Texas Tech, so going to those games when I was younger and traveling all over the place, seeing him play really, uh, that was when I knew I wanted to play college football. And then, of course, the you know the older you get, the more seriously you take it. For you, when when was that moment in your football career, Will, when it became less of a something fun to do and more of a focus uh, for your future? I'd say pretty much as soon as I got into high school, I kind of knew uh, if I wanted to do it, uh, I would have to commit myself, and I really uh, worked as hard as I could and did everything I could to play at the next level. How'd you land it at linebacker? What was it about that position that was appealing to you? Um, so my dad played linebacker in college, and uh, he even named, uh, he wanted to name all three kids after the linebacker positions, Mike, Will, and Sam. And uh, my mom didn't like the name Mike, so she only got Will and Sam, two of us. So uh, I kind of always knew that I wanted to play linebacker. I've always been pretty physical, so it's just what I've played since I started from third grade on. and haven't changed since. What a great story. Will Honus, Nebraska linebacker. Uh, hear the rest of that tomorrow on Husker Game Day, uh, beginning at 7 a.m. Myself, Brendan Stye, will have it for you. Um, will Honus played a really good game, Austin, against Ohio State and is going to be key with the season moving forward. We got good news at inside linebacker, too, with Luke Reimer apparently ready to go after, uh, after an ankle uh, injury the week of the Ohio State game, so we'll get a couple of added of bullets there. But w what what do you see with the middle linebacker position, particularly without Muhammad Barry and having these guys like Will Honus, like Colin Miller, like Luke Reimer have to step up in his absence? Well, I think having those three guys and also maybe Nick Henrich 
uh, who can slide, who can play inside. They've slid outside a little bit. I think that's good depth. They can rotate guys, mix and match a little bit more. And what I think is another positive for the linebackers, too, is that they're being a little bit more relied on to make plays. Will Honus had a couple tackles for loss. Colin Miller had a tackle and a half for loss as well. So it's not just, you know, place fillers. They're not just standing out there calling the signs and letting everyone else do the work. They're being turned to to make plays. They did against Ohio State. Northwestern wants to run the ball as well. So if they stay in their gaps, they stay in their lanes. These guys have all the talent in the world to make the plays, especially Will Honus's highly sought after as he was coming out of the JUCO ranks. That's a good group there. Now, they can get better, obviously, but I think they're, at least through one game, they've been in solid position to make plays, and I think they're really stepping up as leaders, getting better at their communication as well, and that starts with Honus and Miller, two of the older guys. Yeah, and I know, um, I mean, if you can't tell, Will's a softer-spoken young man, so it's it, that, mm-hmm. I know that's taking some prying from the coaches to get him to use that voice a little bit more and becoming more of that leader when – He's probably, you know, if you were were to ask him, more of a lead-by-example type player. Um, Not necessarily a a benefit you can have at middle linebacker when you're the one giving the calls and making sure everyone's where they're supposed to be. So um, big, big importance there on his shoulders and um, in the communication of the rest of the defense. Appreciate him giving us some time uh, on our Cornhusker conversation. Hour 2 Sports Nightly. For being a part of it. Good first hour. Thanks to Greg Sharp. Thanks to Will Honus, Nebraska middle linebacker. Giving us a few minutes. Sneak peek of our Cornhusker conversation, which you can hear tomorrow on Husker Game Day. 12 hours from now, we'll be on the air with Husker Game Day. If you tune in 12 hours from now, you'll be an hour late. 6 a.m. is when we begin coverage of Nebraska football tomorrow, beginning with the opening drive with Greg Sharp and Jeremiah Searles. Coming up here in just a second, we'll run through our Big Ten and Top 25 picks for the week. Find out how we did last week. Some probably better than others, as per usual. Also this hour, we'll talk to Ian Rappaport, spin around the NFL from the NFL Network and NFL.com, talk about last night's beatdown between the Packers and the Niners. Not entirely unexpected, considering the shape of San Francisco's roster, but we'll get Ian's thoughts on the happenings of the NFL. In hour three, we'll have our weekend preview. Tim Kern will walk us through what's on tap on the sporting world this weekend, where you can find it, and we'll have our weekend review also coming in hour three. All the best stuff of Sports Nightly this week, and hand out some winners and losers before we sign off for the week as well. Of course, if you want to be a part of the show, 531 500 4686. That is a number to our Woodhouse Auto Family hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, gentlemen, time now for our Big Ten game predictions presented by Choices Treatment Center, helping people make positive choices. Let's start first with the damage, or maybe as Austin phrased it in last hour, the carnage (laughs) from last week. How, how, How bad was it? (laughs) <laughs> well, the carnage was certainly unequal. I think I might have bared the brunt of, of the carnage. Uh, we'll get it more on that in a moment. Um, but uh, it looks like everyone got messed up here on the Minnesota-Maryland game and the Michigan-Michigan State game. None of us saw the upsets coming. We all had the Gophers. We all had uh, the blue side of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry, and that did not go our way. 
Uh, it was not, in fact, Big Brother that won that game. It was Little Bro. Um, after that, everyone picked Purdue besides me. Uh, your humble uh, producer picked Illinois and got it wrong. We all got right on Indiana. Um, I was the only person that got tripped up by Iowa. Uh, we all got Ohio State right. Uh, we all got Texas right besides Austin and I. Austin and I picked Okie State. We all got Cincinnati right. And then, uh, Ben, you got K-State wrong. So did I uh, in that K-State-West Virginia game. So, uh, for the week, Greg and Josh went 7 of 9. Ben, you went 6 of 9. Austin, 5 of 9. And I went to a gentlemanly 3 of 9. Oh, um, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, it, I took some gambles. Uh, gambles. I, so, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's, a, it's a, a one generous way to phrase that, but... That brings us to the season totals. Uh, Josh still leading the pack at 60 to 88. He's Someone's got to catch him before this gets out of hand. Uh, then coming up here at second place, a tie between Greg and Ben, both at 65 of 88. Austin at 62 of 88, and I managed to fall behind Austin this week or this past week at 61 of 88 because I had some swings and quite a few misses. <laughs> uh, so there's where things stand there after week eight. So Josh is three above Greg and I, right? Yep, three clear of you. Okay. All right. Well, it's time to time to start reversing some trends. Okay, boys. Um, something that I want to I want to do, and maybe we won't talk about this every week, but let's keep let's start keeping a running count. Let's go let's go back to week one of the Big Ten, and note all of the underdogs that were eight point underdogs or more that win. And then what percentage of us call those upsets? So obviously right now we're two weeks in and we've probably had four or five upsets that are eight points or more according to Vegas. And I don't know that we've picked one correctly. Uh, maybe we do double digits. I don't know. Let's, let's, let, what, what's a fair number of a, of a quantitative upset that – Statistically, we're not picking. Is is probably eight too little? I feel like we do no, 10? no, that's fine. I, w- I would say a touchdown or more. That's I, about right. I think two possessions. I think two possessions. Uh, that's nine points, maybe ten. Nine. Points. Let's okay. I, I I'm kind of with Austin. I, I'm between like, I'm between seven and ten. So maybe we call it nine. Maybe we call it nine points. Um, nine points or more, or or maybe we do it eight and a half. You know, if yeah. it's eight and a half or more, what is the how many of us call the upset, and what are those teams' records? I bet those teams' records right now are close to 500 in the Big Ten through two weeks, and so I'm eager to see uh, what that uh, what that ends up being as as we move forward. So, um, okay, let's go ahead and um, let's start with the uh, with the top 25 games, just because we have one kicking off. Oh, they're they're not kicking off for a while. Okay, never mind. Let's uh, let's go ahead and start with the Big Ten, as we always do. Starting first with Michigan and Indiana. The Wolverines ranked 23rd. Hoosiers up to 13, boys. 13 in the polls. Hmm. Michigan is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Tim, let's start with you. How do you see this one going? Well, I think this could be a clear bounce-back game uh, for Harbaugh. But uh, I, I wrote down Michigan, but I just couldn't, I, I couldn't go through with that pick just given what I saw last week I mean look I'm not saying the wheels are about to come off but what Indiana has shown with Penix at the at the helm uh has really impressed me so I can't I can't rightly side against the Hoosiers so give me Indiana in this one Austin this is one of the two most fascinating games in the Big Ten of the whole week Michigan favored on the road Indiana started out the season very well that win against Penn State and then 
the win over Rutgers last week. I'm impressed with Indiana. I don't think they're the 13th best team in the country. I think this is a little bit of a come down for them. I think Michigan is upset to say the least, even if I trust Tom Allen's coaching more than Captain Khaki. I still think Michigan has just enough to get it done on the road. I'm really torn here because for regular listeners to this show know that I've been all in on the Hoosiers all year. I picked them to beat Penn State. I obviously picked them last week to beat Rutgers. I really want to. I really want to stay with them, and I and I said that I would. But there's a part of me that thinks Michigan wins this game, be, just because of what Tim says. It's these are the types of games that Michigan typically bounces back to win under Har- Harbaugh, and their fans just go, "Oh yeah, okay, whatever." Like we're supposed to win that game. It's Indiana. Um, so I'm really torn on this one. Flip that coin. Oh man, I. I don't want to go back on my. I really don't want to go back on my word and choose, and choose Michigan. So I'll stay with Indiana just because I don't want to be that guy that flip flops. I do think Michigan wins, but I'm going to pick Indiana just because I'm going to stick with the hot hand. Hoosiers improved to three and zero. They beat their second ranked Big Ten East team of the season, and they climb to number eleven in the polls next week. That's what's going to happen. You're so. a man of your word, a man of conviction, and I'm sure everyone out there can appreciate that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I I don't know. As, as confident as I was in Indiana week one, I've, I've kind of taken a step back just because of what Tim said. I think Michigan's kind of fed up. Uh, because remember, uh, was it last year, the game that um, that they uh, played against uh, Wisconsin? And their season, we all thought their season was over, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. They actually regrouped and played pretty well after that. So that has me a little nervous. Okay, moving on. 11 a.m., ESPN, Michigan State, and Iowa. Spartans beat Big Brother last week in one and one Top five win in program history, according to Hondo Carpenter <laughs> earlier this week. And Iowa at an 0-2 clip. Austin, how do you see this one going? This is that other fascinating game. I'm incredibly intrigued by this one. I'll have this one up side-by-side side with Nebraska Northwestern. Obviously, Sparty coming off a big high, that big win on the road in the big house. It's pretty impressed with what they did. They really handled Michigan. I think Mel Tucker and staff put together a good game plan. I'm not buying Rocky Lombardi as a great quarterback, having watched him in Lincoln, but he was good enough to get the job done, and maybe he's better than I'm giving him credit for. Not in love with Iowa. They're spotted 17 points and then don't do anything after Northwestern stops turning the ball over. I've been going back and forth on this one as I look at the matchup throughout the week. I would think a home game favors Iowa, but I think Michigan State has enough momentum and has just enough to get it done on the road. Give me Sparty. The road teams in the Big Ten, five wins last week. Michigan State on the road at Iowa. I'm picking Iowa in this one because they, they simply have to win. I mean, they're not falling 0-3 would just be a disaster for the Hawkeyes. They're almost a touchdown favorite. Um they haven't really shown me anything to, to be impressed by them. I think, you know, they, they were gifted 17 points with Northwestern last week and still lost. Uh, the loss to Purdue didn't make any sense considering they were without their head coach and their best player. I'm choosing Iowa because this is a, I think this is a must win for them. And, and I think Michigan State may have sprinted a little too hard and a little too fast on the first lap of a mile um, last week against Michigan. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... Michigan State, um, not as uplifting and fired up as last week against Michigan, so give me Iowa. Tim? Yeah, you know, 
I think Iowa is probably the smart pick here, but I can't pick the Hawkeyes just because, as you mentioned, Ben, they haven't shown it yet. Like, I think they have it in them. You know, losing to Northwestern by a point really isn't that shameful, but their offense has been incredibly stagnant, and I was shocked, frankly, when they opened up the season against Purdue that they didn't win that one uh, by a couple possessions. They actually lost in that game. So, Iowa, they're, they're going to get things figured out here, but, but given the offseason they had – and the fact that they really haven't shown me a whole lot of life in Michigan State just coming off that win over Michigan. I could see the Spartans laying an egg here, but I, I am going to start with Sparty. I think they get it done against the Hawkeyes just because Iowa has not looked good this year, and I don't expect that to be the case on Saturday either. Man, guys, this is crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So you guys are saying Iowa falls to 0-3 yes. uh, and still has some of the big hitters in the Big Ten West left to play. Okay, at 2.30, Maryland and Penn State, I'll bat lead off on this one. I- I'm going to throw this out there. I don't think Maryland puts up 675 <laughs> yards of offense on Penn State's defense. Bold prediction, I know. I'm known for it on this show, but I'm, I'm going to throw that crazy take out there that they cannot rack up 700 yards on Penn State's defense like they did Minnesota. Maryland may score. They may, they may get 21, 24 points in this, but Penn State gets way more than that. Uh, give me the Nittany Lions big, and hopefully um, hopefully they're not too confident coming to Lincoln next weekend. Penn State gets their first win. And how about that? Maryland 1-1, one one, Penn State 0-2, oh not, after, not after this week. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I agree with your logic. Um, you know, Maryland... Uh, they, they really should have lost that game last week against Minnesota. They even had um, a, a chance to heave the ball into the end zone, uh, like their pass midfield there as time was expiring in regulation. They sat on their timeout. Uh, I thought that was them signaling <laughs> defeat there. But no, uh, you know, Maryland, uh, I think credit to Tagovailoa and, and Mike Loxley, what they were able to do last week. But that Minnesota defense has been, is garbage, uh, to put it mildly, in Penn State. Uh, they'll get it done. And, and as you mentioned, Ben, they, they, Maryland might score some points, but the Nittany Lions have more than enough horses to, to get this one done. I think they'll win and pull away in the end. Yep, I think Penn State pretty comfortable, a couple possessions. Okay, uh, before we go further, boys, do we have the absentee picks? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, we Greg did submit his picks, uh, as did Josh. So let's, let's go through here with... Uh, All right, so let's start with Michigan. Let's go back to Michigan, Indiana. Where did they have? Right, so Greg picked the Wolverines, as did Josh. They both sided with the Hawkeyes over Sparty. um, And in the game we just picked, Penn State, Maryland, they both had the Nittany Lions. Okay, so are we – let's see, so there's five of us. So anybody else picked Indiana? Uh, I'm the only one that picked Indiana. Me and and you, Tim. Okay, me and you pick Indiana. Josh – uh, Greg and Austin go Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, me, Greg, and Josh picked Iowa, right? Correct. Right. And then you two picked Sparty, and then we're all on Penn State's yes. um, bandwagon. Okay, so we're all caught up here. All right, 230, BTN, Minnesota, and Illinois. Something's got to give. Gophers trash defense, Illinois' trash offense. Uh, Minnesota without their defensive coordinator testing positive for COVID this week. Golden Gophers, 600 and 75 yards against Maryland. Like, that is unbelievable. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I just can't get over that. Okay, uh, Tim, I think you're first on this one. Yeah, you know, Illinois has been shockingly bad uh, this year. I mean, that game against Wisconsin was, to to start the Big Ten season, was 
uh, pretty pathetic showing on the part of the Fighting Illini. And I'm also not going to forgive them because on our position rankings, inexplicably, they ranked very, very high up on my position rankings. I have no idea why. <laughs> I think I must have read a favorable Athlon report on the on Lovey Smith's crew. Um, I won't make the same mistake. Minnesota, their defense is abhorrent, but uh, that won't really matter. I don't think Illinois is going to move the ball all that effectively. And to the extent that they do, Minnesota has enough offensive firepower to get it done. The Goofers, Ski Yuma, will get it done on Saturday. I wouldn't be surprised to see another 45-44 game between Minnesota and Illinois just because Minnesota's defense is that bad. Unless we forget, Graham Mertz torched Illinois in the season opener on Friday. I think Minnesota's offense, at least the passing game, has more weapons than Mo Ibrahim really reestablished himself. Four rushing touchdowns in the first half last week. I'll take the Gophers in a shootout, probably 45-38, somewhere in that neighborhood. Guys, Ibrahim has carried the ball 67 times oh, in two games. In two games, yeah. <laughs> That's over 30 carries a game. My goodness. That's like high school numbers right there. Insane. Yeah, I mean, he, he went from uh, a three-headed monster last year with Brooks and with Smith to barely getting any touches to, I mean, you want to talk about a bell cow. Bell My gopher. goodness, 67 carries. I think he had 40 last week <laughs> <laughs> against Maryland. Um Minnesota allows way more points to Illinois than they'll score to against any other team all year, but Illinois can't stop a nosebleed, and I think the Gophers score 45. Illinois may get um, 28, but I think Minnesota gets a comfortable win here. We'll see. Something's got to give. I mean, somebody's got to perform well at some point. Illinois' offense or Minnesota's defense, we'll find out. Who it is tomorrow okay we'll wrap it up with Rutgers and Ohio State Austin let's let's hear your breakdown of this one well I think that once James Franklin takes the Texans job continuing a rich tradition of Penn State coaches taking the Houston Texans job Ohio State and Rutgers could be the the new Big Ten East rivalry actually I don't believe that I think the Buckeyes win it Rutgers puts up a fight in the first half the defense isn't all bad although Indiana did run up some points last week I think Rutgers has a little bit of a game plan of how to attack Ohio State defensively. It's not quite as stingy as Ohio State units normally are, but I don't trust the Rutgers offense. There's just too much talent for the Buckeyes. I think they win it pretty big in the end. Yeah, that's about where I'm at as well. Ohio State are just too good. And, and look, I, I think that Greg Schiano, uh, you know, has, has done well already uh, as Rutgers head coach. He got the, he got the dub there and that uh, and that's not something that comes easy for the state college of new jersey as we all are aware um so yeah but ohio state's going to win this one and they'll probably win it big but uh, you know Rutgers, um you know they've already shown some signs of life in a team that has shown little um already oh by the way i forgot to mention greg and josh picked minnesota over illinois and they are starting with the buckeyes here as well and our absentees all right, clean clean sweep on Ohio State I just I, I cannot see a scenario in which Rutgers hangs with the Buckeyes just can't do it sorry Scarlet Knights fans don't see it all right uh top 25 games we have three of them Josh has already uh decided which three games we're going to be selecting one of them will be played later on tonight BYU Boise State you've got 7-0 and and 2-0 and Boise State at home on the blue carpet they're wearing black unis tonight uh who's there? is it Austin is it you or is it me I think it's me, right? Uh, I think Tim. No, I started Ohio State. This one's all you. Yeah, I'm next. Um, I'm going to choose Boise State in this one. Way too much hype for BYU. They need to be knocked down a peg. Um, 
not a fan of their onside kick or their or their fake punt, fake punt up thirty points or whatever against Texas State. Did not like that at all. Um, starting to get a little overconfident, perhaps. Give me Boise on the blue turf. BYU a four point favorite in this one. Yeah, you know, I think that BYU. Uh, I, I do like that overconfidence argument. They they had a kind of a shocking game against UTSA. They barely pulled it out uh, a couple weeks ago. That being said, I, I do think that BYU has just enough explosiveness to get over the top in this one. Uh, I do like Boise State. It's a home game for them. Um, however, BYU has is, is had several games under their belt already, and Boise State, well, the Mountain West just got their season underway, same with the Big Ten. So uh, give me BYU to keep that momentum up, although uh, this one is going to be a razor-thin margin, I believe. This is another one of those games I've been waffling on. I love the BYU offense. I think it's going to do some really good things. I am skeptical of Boise if Hank Bachmeyer doesn't play. I think he's going to based on the latest report. So I think that's a big boost for Boise State. It's a big road test for BYU. And I've too many times this year gone against the uh, the home dog by just about a field goal. So I'm going to correct that this week. Give me the Bronx. Wow, yep. how about that? Okay, and how our about absentees, uh, Greg and Josh? Yeah, Greg and Josh. Uh, they both, actually rather, Josh had BYU, Brigham Young, and Greg went with the Broncos of Boise State. Wow, we're actually pretty split. Expected expected more folks on the BYU bandwagon, but that's good. Also a buy-sell question relative to that as well based on BYU's final record. All right, good one at 2.30, world's largest cocktail party. I don't know if they call that anymore, but we're going to continue to call it that because that's what it's called. Top 10 matchup between 8th-ranked Florida, 5th-ranked Georgia. Um, who's got this one, Austin? Tim's up. Tim, uh, go ahead. I will gladly step up to the plate, uh, and I think I'm going to have to go with Georgia here. I think Florida will make it close. They did have that COVID outbreak, so uh, they're just kind of getting back to some sense of normalcy as Georgia um, I think is probably in the driver's seat to win this one. It'll be close. Florida, the only stumbling block earlier this year was against A&M, lost by a fuel, I think it was. Pretty slim margin there. But uh, Georgia, uh, I do think in the end, has just enough to get it done against the Gators. Yeah, I, I'm with Tim on this one. I will take Georgia as well. I really hope it's a shootout. I think we expect some points. I, I think Georgia's offense is improving, especially with Stetson Bennett there at the helm. Obviously, Florida's offense has put up some crooked numbers. So I'm hoping it's a, a mid-30s, low-40s type of game. But I think Georgia gets a stop late to seal it. I need to see more from Georgia's offense. Zamir White can't do it all himself. They had a really tough week last week against Kentucky. I know the Wildcats' defense is one of the better defenses in the SEC, which is weird to say, but I need to see more from Georgia. I need to see Pickens be better. I need to see Jackson be better. I need to see Stetson Bennett be better. I like Florida's offense a lot, but everybody knows I'm not really in the closet anymore on Georgia's fandom, but uh, <laughs> I got I to gotta ride with my boys. Give me the dogs in Jacksonville, improving to 5-1, and one, but they have to play better against Florida if they want to win. All right, what do the boys say? Uh, Greg picked the dogs as well, and Josh uh, also uh, starting with Ugga in this one, which is surprising. It's going to be a close game, but we all apparently think Georgia's going to win. All right, boys, the big one. We'll finish it out. 6.30, Clemson, Notre Dame. No Trevor Lawrence, if you haven't heard by now, been living under a rock. Uh, Clemson without some of their key players in this one. Um, What do we see? Austin, I think you're up. I am, and I will I will say I think this is a Carrie Underwood type of game a day early. Get her to record something quick, get her on our TVs a night early. But 
I think last week against Boston College was a wake-up call for Clemson. That's been your concern with them, Ben, is that they just get bored. And it kind of looked that way at, at times in the first half. Travis Etienne and DJ Galele botched that handoff. BC ran it back 95 yards or so for a touchdown. So that's seven points. I don't think Clemson gives up. I'm not a fan of the Notre Dame offense. I think Ian Book's a good quarterback, but I haven't seen them really put it all together. I think it's a little vanilla as well. I love Ugalele as a quarterback. No Trevor Lawrence, no problem. I think Clemson wins a tight one. Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree. I do think uh, Our Lady Notre Dame uh, does get it done because precisely I, I was a little bit concerned watching Clemson have a, that slow start against BC. Now, credit to them totally for getting it done against Boston College. And as we know, I don't completely write off Boston College. They're able to kind of dirty things up, and, and uh, they, they do uh, play t- teams tight, teams that are, that are much better than them on paper. Uh, that being said, uh, although I don't totally disagree uh, with Austin on Notre Dame's offense, um, that 12-7 game he had against Louisville was kind of a shocker. But, um, you know, without Lawrence, I-, I can't rightfully pick the Tigers. So give me Notre Dame in this one. Clemson's found a way to make it work without him. I think a little shock to the system last week against BC. Their defense was garbage in that first half, really locked up the Golden Eagles in the second half. Give me little old Clemson. Nothing good ever happens to those guys. It's about time that something good happens to Dabo Sweeney's group. They just they just keep taking bullets, and they just can't ever find find a way to get some good luck. So yep. something good finally happens to little old Clemson tomorrow night on the road in South Bend. Yeah. Greg and Josh, also big Dabo fans. They're siding with the Tigers wow. in this one. All right. Sports Nightly Friday night, about halfway through our program. You made it through the week, most of you. Get ready for a weekend full of football, including Husker football. But also on Sundays, the National Football League. Ian Rappaport joins us now from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, I think before the season, you look at San Francisco and Green Bay, rematch of the NFC Championship game. You're excited, and you were excited for yesterday's game until you looked at the injury and the COVID report and the damage that was done with those two rosters. But they played anyway. Man, it was crazy to see how many players were out yesterday. All right. And, and, you know, it was so interesting because I feel like every week, uh, I feel like every week we kind of, you know, learn something, right? And this week what we learned is just because a player tests positive, just because two players test positive, just because you lose a couple due to a close contact uh, does not mean they're going to cancel the game. And this is the new normal for the NFL. What they do is they take a player who's tested positive, he gets removed, right? He, uh, gets quarantined, any close contact, high-risk close contact gets quarantined for five days. Everyone else they believe is safe and okay, and then they play. And this is, you know, it's never perfect. It's not what you want. It is much better than canceling. The NFL remains on schedule. And this is the way, you know, this is the way they can do things. And it just underscores the importance of, of contact tracing as well. Without question. You talked with us uh, ad nauseum about the protocols that the NFL has in place, and it's just soldier on. Let's talk about Green Bay. I don't know that we've given a lot of attention to the season that they've had. Aaron Rodgers' resurgence, Devontae Adams is just a freak of nature. But I want to ask about Matt LaFleur, and it seems like for whatever reason, the time aspect of it with Aaron Rodgers has really kind of cured everything. This this offense is really humming right now. Where, where where did the shift change, Ian, from last year? There seemed to be a little bit of friction to this year, uh, ever since the draft, and now things are just working right now in Green Bay. It seems like during the sort of virtual period, 
when there was nothing to do but talk football on Zoom, it seems like they really got to a point where Rodgers stopped questioning the offense and started going, okay, I kind of see this. And, you know, the, these elite quarterbacks are so valuable in how much knowledge they have. And when they don't have that knowledge, for instance, when they don't get deep enough in the playbook, they just don't know it as well because it's new to them, they get frustrated. We saw that with Tom Brady earlier in the season. Now he's humming a little bit. Um, so I think Brady's less frustrated. But when these guys don't know everything, it's frustrating. Then Rodgers did know everything about the offense, and you really saw him embrace it. I will say this. First of all, I'd be curious to see if Matt LaFleur gets coach of the year discussion. Like, I would say he'd probably be worth it. I also, I could watch Rodgers and Devontae Adams play all day long. Like, there was, a, there was a play, I think it was like a third and two or something like that last night. Rodgers gets to the line, calls the play, starts calling the signals, looks over at Devontae, and I'm sitting on the couch by myself, so I'm not talking to anyone. But I'm thinking, like, I don't know what they're doing, but he's definitely throwing it to him. And then he did, and it was like a four-yard gain and a first down, and I'm like, that was beautiful. He just probably looked at him. And they were in concert. It's just great. Yeah, I know exactly what play you're talking about because I noticed the same thing. It was, it was the one like right around the ten yard line. They're driving, I believe, uh, when when that was when that was the case. It's yep. it's pretty incredible to watch um, him work. And uh, how has his attitude been? Because he he's had some public appearances, Ian, where. He, he was admittedly pretty salty about the draft that they had, not just because they drafted Jordan Love, but they didn't really draft him much help, even though they said that he would. How have you perceived his attitude through all of, all of this? And, and obviously, I mean, it's in a good spot right now. Well, you know, as far as the draft pick and as far as not getting receiver, I think he's still a little sort of defiant. The problem the Packers have is – so, I mean, first of all, I, didn't, I, still, I still do not blame them for the draft pick because, to me, there's nothing more important than getting a quarterback for the future. If you're convinced that's the guy, just get him, and however long it takes, that's how long it takes. Like, I don't, you know, if it sets you up for 15 years, then I literally don't care about anything else. You know, sacrifice a little bit this year for the next 15 years, who cares? Um, I think the, the trade deadline is interesting for the Packers because they didn't pick up a receiver. They were in heavy on the Will Fuller deal. Um, they did not end up getting him. And then it's like, well, who else would they trade for? You know, I don't think anyone would be better than the guys they have on the roster. And then they get Lazard back next week. So who would they get? I mean, so I think the Packers have what they have and they're set. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, they're making it work so far. And then I want to talk a little bit about San Francisco as well. I mean, this started week one for them, really. I mean, with, with, the, with the injuries, and it just never has gotten better. And, you know, at least uh, for Shanahan, you know, you've got, you, 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 you've got a bailout, whether he wants to use it or not. And this, I think, proves a point that we talk about all the time on our show, Ian, not just in the, in the professional but in college, how, how difficult it is to sustain the championship level of play from year to year given the different circumstances. What's been your take on, on how San Francisco has navigated this season considering? Well, it's obviously been frustrating. I think with the injuries, that's just bad luck. I mean, you lose Bosa and Solomon Thomas on basically two plays in a row. You lose – Kittle, you know, you lose Jimmy Garoppolo for an extended period of time. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's definitely a lot a lot going on and a lot of issues that are really not their fault. 
Uh, I thought the system would be strong enough to withstand. Kyle is a great coach, but he is not, you know, he's not a magician. So this is all predictable. Here's the thing I would say about the 49ers. They, they had some bad luck. They had some bad injuries to Garoppolo, and they ended up getting a really, really high draft pick, right? And then they went to the Super Bowl. They are going to end up probably being in the same spot again where they had an awesome team, they were stacked, then they had some terrible injuries, and then they had to end up with a high draft pick. Like, they could end up with quarterback, potentially, and still, and then be set for the next 10 years just because of what they're going through injury-wise right now. Something interesting to keep an eye on moving forward without question. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network is our guest. Ian, one more team I want to talk about before we get into some individual stories this weekend, and that's the Colts. We haven't talked a lot about Indianapolis so yeah. far. They're 5-2. and two. Phillip Rivers has come in. They draft Jonathan Taylor. Marlon Mack goes down. Now it seems like Jordan Wilkins has the hot hand. I have a hard time figuring out what the Colts' offensive identity is. We have a rogue Colts fan in our, in our office. Uh, what What's, what's the, the best-case scenario for the Colts when they're humming? You saw Phillip Rivers connect a few times uh, to Hines last, last week. Like I, I, don't, I just don't have an, a good idea of what they're trying to do when we knew last year they were just going to try to pound the ball down your throat. Yeah, I think the, they are a defensive-led team, right? So that they, if their defense is as good as it can be, needs to be, should be, then they are good. The, to me, the only thing the Colts season depends on, whether they're going to make the playoffs or not, all of it depends on is Philip Rivers going to throw interceptions. I think that's it. If he doesn't try too hard, if they can coach that out of him, if they can get him to just be a regular quarterback, um, then I think they are good, fine, playoff team, you know, 10-6, and six, something like that. It's if Rivers becomes the interception machine he was last year at the beginning of this year, then they run into problems. And um, – they, you know, will probably be looking for a quarterback at the end of this year. It's going to be tough because, you know, they're not going to probably have a high draft pick, but they're a team that, to me, is getting by any veteran quarterback. And as long as he knows what he is, then I think they're fine. Colts have the Ravens this week, each team 5-2. and two. All right, I've waited long enough to, to get, get your thoughts on Antonio Brown. Activated this week. Seems like Coach Arians is really liking the work that he's put in. Okay, let's just start for where he's at emotionally as a person. Has he grown up? Has he matured? I mean, it's this is not a system you want to go mess up in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. They want to bring him in for a reason. How do you see this marriage working, particularly early, maybe even as early as this week? Oh, I mean, it, it's going to be this week. Um, we're going to see him on Sunday Night Football, and it's going to be a big hello to the nation. I think he's in a good place mentally. He has done a lot of work a lot of work to get himself better. He has seen a counselor. He has done a lot of really good good things. So I think all that is good. Um, I think at the beginning, he is, history has shown he can behave. And in New England, he was excellent in the building, excellent. Um, and then it never got further than that because he was released. So um, I, my guess is we're probably going to see 20 to 30 plays. That is my assumption. Um I think he's going to be involved in the offense. I think they're going to do it early. And that's fine, but that's kind of not the story. To me, the story is what happens five weeks from now, when he settles in, when he's good, when he's kind of becomes himself again. Does he revert back or does he stay on board? That's basically, to me, 
going to determine what happens with um, with the Bucks and Antonio Brown. Yeah, very good point. Okay, and before we cut you loose, one more guy we need to talk about, Christian McCaffrey, ankle sprain, has been dealing with it for weeks. What do the Panthers plan with him? Mike Davis has been more than serviceable um, since yeah. coming in as a replacement. What's what's the situation in Carolina this week and, and maybe even for the rest of the year of how the, Matt Rule expects to use him? Um, he's good to go. He's going to be activated. We're going to see him a lot. I just don't think it's going to be all 100% of the time like it was. So I think what's probably going to happen is you'll see a more normal kind of running back rotation like all teams do, except for the Panthers never did because McCaffrey was on field all the time. I think you'll see, my guess is 25, 30 snaps, 40, you know, 35 snaps, but not 70 snaps. That's my guess as to where it goes. But he's one of the best players in the NFL. He's also a great guy. Um, so I think, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of him. Yeah, and of course, happens uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs, my team, but that's okay. Make it a little more interesting yep. on Sunday at noon here at Central Time. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, appreciate it. Great insight as always. Look forward to watching some of these guys back on the field on Sunday. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right, good stuff. Always enjoy, man. Take care. Final hour of Sports Nightly on a Friday. Appreciate everybody tuning us in as we finish out our week of Sports Nightly. Ten hours till Husker pregame coverage. You don't have to wait that long to hear us again. Greg Sharp, Jeremiah Searles have the opening drive, 6 a.m. Brendan Stye and I to follow at 7 Husker kickoff shortly after 11 o'clock Central Time. Northwestern and Nebraska in Evanston. Huskers trying to get on the board on the win column here in 2020. Good show so far. Thanks to Greg Sharp. Thanks also to Will Honus, Nebraska middle linebacker, for joining us on our Cornhusker conversation preview. Hear the rest of that talk tomorrow on Husker game day. Thanks to Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network and NFL.com. For giving us the lowdown on the NFL. Appreciate his thoughts and insight on Christian McCaffrey. Hopefully turn loose against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday after that high ankle sprain he suffered early in the year. And Tim Curran, let's pull you in here. Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, <laughs> reunite, take two from New England last year. It's got to uh, get you excited, yeah? You know, I, I I wish I could say I was excited to see that. Um uh, you know, I thought that the Patriots probably made the right move by choosing to part ways with Antonio Brown, given the uh, baggage, I guess one might say, about his situation. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I won't lie, I'm kind of befuddled by Tom felt he needed to bring in AB uh, when Tampa, you know, they weren't exactly a juggernaut, but have been enjoying a decent season. He's got some weapons in Gronk and Godwin and, you know, the rest. So I I don't know why this was a necessary move, but I guess when you're Tom Brady, uh, you you usually get what you want. So there you have it. Okay, we'll see how this this works out. Um, Tim will join us here in just a second with our weekend preview. We'll also have our weekend review, all the best stuff of Sports Nightly this week from all of our guests. Coming up in this hour as well. And we'll hand out some winners and losers, which is typically not Miss Radio. So you'll want to tune into that as we finish out our show here on a Friday. You want to be a part of it? As always, feel free to give us a call. 531-500-4686. 
That is our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, boys, let's jump into it. Weekend preview. It's time for the weekend preview. The part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in. Watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Tim Curran. Well, it is a football-filled weekend, and uh, never going to complain about that every fall Saturday uh, and Sunday, of course, with the NFL on college football in full swing. Not even the dreaded coronavirus can bring a stop to that, and we are thankful for and Cloris the the Huskers uh, did get their game but it stopped too last week because of coronavirus but not this week my friends because the Huskers will be taking on Northwestern at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning coverage of course starting at six right here on the Huskers Sports Network uh you know Ben I know you've already shared your thoughts a little bit about this game and you talked with this with Greg earlier, but the way I see it, this is going to be a, you know a tough game to call. I think the, I think both teams have a pretty good chance and pretty good feeling of, of how they're going to head into this one. But uh, how do you see this? Uh, you, you think Nebraska the the favorite in this one, or how do you see this game? The biggest thing that I want to see tomorrow, and I, pretty much every week I get asked by people, uh, friends, fans, whatever, you know what, what I'm hoping to see. And and the biggest thing that I want to see is. I want to see Nebraska stay out of their own way. What does 60 minutes of clean football look like, and how does that help their cause in the win column? I think we'll be surprised. I think um, you know, be able to be able to, to talk a game in retrospect and not take three or four plays away or wonder what could have gone differently. Look, there, every football game, stuff goes wrong. Rarely does, does everything go right in a 60-minute span. Um, but what happens uh, if you're able to, to put some of those things that get in your own way behind you and not and not make those mistakes, especially against a team like Northwestern? So let's start there. And then I want to see some, some offensive explosion. I want to see some of these playmakers get involved. I want to see Wandale get loose. I want to see what Omar Manning has. I'd like to see Ronald Tompkins. I mean, I know there's a lot of mouths to feed, so to speak, but – I'm ready to see what Scott Frost can implement uh, in terms of an offensive game plan against a good defense in Northwestern. That's kind of where I'm at right now. To your first point, Ben, I think one thing that helps Nebraska with that is a team like Northwestern waits for you to make mistakes, whereas teams like Ohio State force you into mistakes. So I think if Nebraska can slow down mentally and not get too preoccupied with everything Northwestern's going to do on the other side, if they can just stick to their fundamentals and make their own plays like you said get out of their own way I think that just goes a long way for the big red as well yeah and you know it's going to be basically a coin toss game but uh, should be interesting again uh covered starting at 6 a.m here on the Oscar Sports Network kickoff at 11 don't even worry about the tv folks just uh, get that radio <laughs> get that radio on uh other big 10 games in action of course we've hit on these briefly uh but number 23 michigan number 13 indiana that's the big one 11 a.m on fs1 uh going on the same time as nebraska uh, and northwestern so we won't be able to get too good of a look at it but uh this one again incredibly close i th- can't remember I, I think we i said indiana ben i think you also had indiana but austin you had the wolverines did i get that right I did indeed take Michigan. Yeah. So, you know, this one is this one again, raised within margin, but I I just can't, I can't pick against the Hoosiers the way they're playing right now. I just don't, I don't know what to expect really. I mean, I, I have a hard time figuring out what, what Michigan's made of 
and I guess we'll find out a little bit more uh, tomorrow with Indiana, who's playing well to start the year. So I guess uh, time will tell. The series between these two is absolutely funky as well. I mean, for as weird of games as Nebraska Northwestern play, Michigan-Indiana has provided a lot of weirdness as well, and especially the last five, six years. It's a fascinating series, even more so now. Uh, another fascinating one, Michigan State and Iowa also at 11 on ESPN. And again, this one, I, I don't know how to really slice it. I, I'm going to go with the Spartans just because they, they, they proved it last week against Michigan. But Iowa, um, Ben, you were talking about them dropping to potentially 0-3 on the year. I, I did not see that coming at all. Did not see that coming at all. No, and then you consider the fact they still have to play Wisconsin, they still have to play Minnesota, and they still have to play Nebraska. That is a dreadful start if you're an Iowa Hawkeye fan, and, and you better get it done tomorrow because if you don't, you're falling out of this thing real quick. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Maryland and Penn State, that'll be at 2.30 on BTN. Not much of an intrigue as much as, as that, uh, in the other games there. I, I think Maryland probably uh, will end up getting boat raced in that one. Also at 2.30, Minnesota and Illinois on BTN as well. Uh, that's, that's, again, not an illustrious matchup. Uh, and then the primetime Big Ten game, 6.30 on BTN. You got Rutgers taking on number three, Ohio State. Ohio State, uh, if they keep if they take care of business, they'll find themselves in the playoff. But again, uh, uh, that six that is six thirty there on, on BTN. Well, uh, without further ado, let's head over to the top twenty five matchups. Um, a, a decently juicy one, I suppose you might say. Number eighteen SMU taking on Temple at eleven a.m. on ESPN and SMU. Uh, did either of you guys have SMU pegged as having as good a season as they're having? Because I certainly did not. I didn't. I think they're a little bit of a fraud, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they have had some chances against a good Cincinnati team. They've laid an egg. I've just had a hard time figuring them out. They had a really good receiver last year in James Prochet, in which they lost. A really good running back last year, in which they lost. I know they've got um, Buchel back, the quarterback, mm-hmm. who's had a, an okay year. I just expected a little more out of them, particularly on offense, and they didn't show well against Cincinnati, so... Um, not exactly sure what to what to make of them. SMU reminds me a lot of those post-Robert Griffin but pre-current era Baylor teams, but a half-step down in, in talent. A lot of offense, not a whole lot of defense. Good enough to surprise some teams, but I think they're a little overrated as well. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Uh, another one, West Virginia, number 22, Texas. That one at 11 a.m. on ABC. Austin, I'll throw this one to you. Uh, where is Texas on the Texas's back meter? Are they fully back, not fully back? What's going on there? It's like one of those deals where you're testing, like, temperature of water, and you stick the thermometer in and just not getting a reading, and then you shake yeah. it off and you do it again. That's where they're at on that spectrum. That's just where they are. I mean, I think we all expected them to win last week just because that's kind of what they do and how they operate, but no, they're not back. They're definitely not back. Well, I didn't expect them to win. I took Oklahoma State, and the Pokes almost did it, but four turnovers in the first half will kill you. So if Texas forces four first-half turnovers every game, I think they're a lot closer to being back, but I don't expect that to happen every week. Well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see if we're hooking them uh, at 11 a.m. again on ABC. Uh, also at 11 a.m. on the ACC Network, number 25, Liberty taking on Virginia Tech. It always catches me by surprise. I forgot Liberty is still uh, a D1 or is a newly D1 franchise. They are ranked 25th in the nation. Uh, number 16, Marshall. How about that? They're ranked 16th. They're taking on UMass at 130 on ESPN, plus D plus plus. Uh, but then the big one, boys, number eight, Florida, squaring off with number five, Georgia. We all seem to think that Uga 
had this one, but uh, we I don't think any of us think it's going to be Georgia running away with this. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of what Trask and Mullen have done with Florida um, this year. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think that Georgia just has the edge in this one. But, Ben, you were talking earlier about how you want to see a little bit more out of their offense. Yeah, yeah, I, I do need to see more out of Georgia's offense. Look, I, I think um, – if, if we had a little more on the line with our picks and, you know, <laughs> I had to take things a little more seriously, I'm probably picking Florida in the game, to be honest. But um, I just think that the way that that Missouri game kind of finished with Florida with the cheap shot on Trask and, you know, the team kind of coming to his defense, that kind of bonded them together a little bit, um, you know, with Coach Mullen and, you know, his fine and yeah, coming to the defense of Kyle Trask. I, I, to me, I just see, I see this – team kind of galvanized a little bit not that not that georgia isn't but for some reason i just think florida's going to win this game um georgia's defense is going to have to show out and they're going to have to ball out and they've been dealing with a scary situation as well with richard lecount who was a first round safety got in a car accident last week and he is um he's going to be fine but he was in the icu this week so they're dealing with some things off the field as well it's just um there's a lot in this game typically world's largest cocktail party i think i'm excited for it i'm excited that i'll be able to watch it and uh yeah we'll kind of we'll kind of see how this goes but winner will have the by far the strong arm in the east absolutely uh well then at 230 as well another decently big one houston number six cincinnati uh is that too high for you guys at the bearcats at six or you think they've proven it to be the rank that high bearcats I think it's more about other teams not having proved quite as much. I think as the year goes on, we'll see more of the the voters dropping Cincinnati to that, you know, 9, 10, 11 range once once some more Big Ten teams, maybe a Pac-12 team or two, proves itself a little more. I think the other thing that's helped that ranking, guys, is the Pac-12 and the Big Ten haven't really gotten going yet. So yeah. Cincinnati's played seven games. That's seven weeks. They've had the ability to climb up in the polls. So, I mean, I think just by default, that's helped them be able to, to climb that high. You just keep winning and you beat some good teams, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to get, get a rise in the polls, and that's what's happened. Uh, that is a fair point, 230 on ABC. Well, a team that's not climbing up in the polls anytime soon, uh, KU, Kansas, taking on number 19, Oklahoma, 230 on ESPN. Uh, Boomer Sooner, I don't think there's any more time that needs to be spent on that game. Uh, number 14, <laughs> Oklahoma State squaring off with K-State, 3 p.m. on Fox. Uh, both these teams uh, coming off, uh, uh, you know, some tough weeks for them. K-State, of course, had the loss, I believe it was, to West Virginia and Oklahoma State falling to Texas. Uh, that game on 3 p.m. on Fox. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, does K-State, do they have their starter yet, or are they still playing with a backup? I haven't heard. I, I don't know what the deal with Skylar Thompson is, and it, it came back to bite them last week as uh, West Virginia popped them real good. And, you know, Greg kind of said you can only play with your backup so long before you know something bad happens that's exactly what happened to kansas state last week um yeah i don't i don't know oklahoma state's a pretty big favorite in that one nearly two touchdowns and so that leads me to believe that he is still out but i can't say i know for sure did you guys know that skylar thompson is one of only six active d1 quarterbacks with over four thousand passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards you know i had heard that i couldn't i couldn't confirm, confirm that that was uh if that was true or not but yeah here we are yeah also was just waiting on that one i i still uh, i think 
the one victory against Austin was enough just to see his deflated, crushed look on his face. That was fun stuff. Uh, never mind, I digress. Uh, moving on, number seven, Texas A&M squaring off with South Carolina tomorrow night, 6 p.m. on ESPN. Another one at 6 p.m. on FS1. You got Baylor, number 17, Iowa State out of the Big 12. But then at 6.30, uh, a game that lost a little bit of a sheen because Lawrence is out, but you do have number one, Clemson, Scoring off with number four, Notre Dame, 6.30 on NBC. And, and Ben and also Austin, I'm surprised at the both of you. You guys are both siding with the Tigers despite the fact that Lawrence, uh, the Clemson QB, will not be starting uh, due to COVID-19. What's and, the last big game Notre Dame played well in? I don't trust the Golden yeah. Gamers. Well, yeah, I think they, I'm pretty sure they have the largest active win streak in college football. I, I could be making that up probably making that up but um the, you know they're up there i i've brian kelly kind of snapped back at the media a little bit this week when when asked about comparing themselves to clemson and he rattled off where they were at in like their last 40 games or something like that a little bit of ire well go beat them then and this is your this is your time we talked with uh, notre dame in the preseason about their ho-hum year last year and it's, 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 it was their lack of, of effort in big games. Well, this is as big as it gets, and it's at home. If you're Notre Dame, you're trying to make a statement. It's, the time is now. That is true. 6.30 on NBC. Another 6.30 primetime matchup on ABC. The Pac-12, hey, that's right. They're playing football. Number 12, Oregon taking on Stanford. Again, Stanford, the Cardinal, that was one question that nearly tripped up Austin in the faceoff last night. He pulled it out in the end. I was waiting to jump on him, though. Uh, but Oregon, uh, clear favorites for you guys in the Pac-12. How do you guys see the Pac-12 shaping up this year? Austin, thoughts? Well, clear favorite is a stretch. I mean, losing Panay Sewell, he opted out, and losing Justin Herbert, who's tearing it up, is a big deal. It really is. So replacing your left tackle and your quarterback is not a great place to be, especially with a couple proven skill guys, but not a whole lot now that we're used to. I think Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive side is going to be a big help. I think Oregon's going to have to lean on its defense. I don't think there's a clear favorite. I, I like Utah, but I think they're a little young and green. USC is equal to Texas. They are the same program right now, in my opinion. Arizona State is improving, but I still don't fully buy the Sun Devils. So I don't think there's a clear favorite. Oregon has as good a shot as anyone to win it. But watch out for Cal once they get healthy. I like Chase Garbers. I like that Justin Wilcox defense. So once they get their team off the COVID list, I think Cal's a team to watch. It's going to take a while. Things sound really toxic right now in Cal with their with their situation with the coronavirus. I agree with your logic. I believe their top corner opted out too for Oregon. So um, I think they probably are the odds-on favorite, but we'll see. I think USC is going to be better. Uh, I don't know what to expect from anybody else in the Pac-12. It's been a trash league uh, the last few years, and without Herbert, without Sewell, without uh, one of their corners, and um, we'll just see. But I, I think the, the edge right now does go to Oregon, and we'll have to see how some of these other teams look. Excited? I'm intrigued about USC. I don't, I don't know what they're going to have this year, but obviously every single year we talk about – uh, preseason hype with them but I, I'm eager to see what they run out there well the last game uh, to highlight here in college football land uh, the aforementioned Chanticleers number 15 Coastal Carolina squaring off with South Alabama 7 o'clock on ESPNU the eyes of the nation turn to that game uh, I am sure uh, for that one well uh, without further ado we're going to get on to the NFL a big noon meaty slate to get into starting with the Panthers and the Chiefs, 
Teddy Two Gloves versus Patrick Mahomes, uh, the nation's two best quarterbacks, uh, no doubt. Uh, do you see the, the Panthers slowing the Chiefs' role in this one, Ben? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I, I think it helps, right? You've got the best all-purpose player in the National Football League back. I don't know what his role is going to be. Chiefs are kind of rolling right now. I don't have much trust in Carolina's defense. So give me the Chiefs, maybe just not as wide of a margin, uh, but Christian McCaffrey didn't help lead Carolina very many wins last year either. So give me, uh, give me the Chiefs, uh, and it's good. It's good to have them back. You know, even though it is against the Chiefs, it's good to have you know, one of the faces of your league back playing again. Well, as long as he's on mixed bench in fantasy, that is, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't need him ripping apart Kittles and Blitz any more than – we don't need any kicking while they're down. Fair enough. Uh, Another noon game, Broncos and Falcons. Uh, The less said about that one, probably the better. Uh, A decent noon matchup, Seahawks and Bills. Uh, Is it just me, or has Josh Allen started to slow a bit? I am a Josh Allen fantasy owner in another league. And, uh, you know, the Bills, they got it done against the Patriots in a game we don't need to talk about. Uh, But that being said, I feel like Buffalo, their offense has slowed down a little bit. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. You're right. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I think Allen slowed down with his legs a little bit, and until he gets his accuracy up, I mean, he can throw the ball as hard as he wants, but if he can't throw it over the plate, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get anybody out. So, I look, he's got a rocket. He's got some skill to throw to with Diggs, with John Brown. Gabriel Davis has emerged as a, as a proven guy. Cole Beasley is a, is, a, is a nice safety blanket, but he's got to get that accuracy better. He's just kind of all over the place. In terms of style of play, if not personality, is Josh Allen, Ricky, Wild Thing, Vaughn? <laughs> Maybe not that bad. Um, and certainly tempo, not though. Rick, Wild Thing, Vaughn in Major League Two. Correct. Because, you know, he's not messing with the Eliminator and, the, and all those other pitches, you know, out there. He's, he's still trusting the old Terminator. It's just letting him down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Cinematic masterpiece, uh, that one. Well, uh, Bears Titans, another decent matchup here at noon. Bears coming in this one at five and three. The Titans at five and two. Chicago, uh, their record probably betrays how up and down they've been. You know, they start out with Mitch Trubisky at three and zero. They yanked him when they were still undefeated. Now Nick Foles is starting QB. Uh, Tennessee, though, uh, they weren't able to get it done against Pittsburgh, but they're still a, a good looking team. They had all those issues with coronavirus. Um, I guess I'll pose this one to Austin. Tennessee, you know, are they the real deal in this one, or what's your read on them? Nope. Tennessee is full of frauds. <laughs> I'm not a Tennessee fan. Uh, give, Austin give, hates – Austin's a wrong one to ask about. This is true. <laughs> I, 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 have, I, am, I fully admit my, my bias in this one. That Pittsburgh defense is just so good. The offense can be better, but I really don't trust that Tennessee defense – and Ryan Tannehill, you know, he got some headlines last year for being pretty efficient. I'm still not buying him as a top-tier quarterback. Can he do his job? Yeah, still don't love him, and I am actively rooting against him. Well, I don't trust Chicago either, though. I mean, that, that, team is, that team is a hot pile of garbage right now, and how their record is what it is is beyond me. Yeah, speaking of teams I don't trust, uh, the Colts squaring off with the Ravens. I would imagine Lamar Jackson is going to have a field day with Indianapolis. False. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a long day for Austin and his Colts. That's just my just my assumption. I, I trust Baltimore more than the Colts. I, I definitely am not a fan of how the Colts have played all year long. But 
you know, I think Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, even Bobby Okariki can can contain Lamar, at least on the ground. So then it's up to the, the secondary and the pass rush. So I think it's a little bit more evenly matched than you're giving it credit for, Tim. I still think I would pick the Ravens, but obviously I'll be cheering for the home team. <laughs> that you will. Uh, you also have a, a an NFC North um, just gargantuan match between the Lions and Vikings. And then, uh, you know, don't get too excited uh, because also at noon, the Giants and Washington football team are playing and a a movable object meets a resistible force um, as well as with the the Texans taking on the Jaguars. Uh, Yeah, don't don't get too excited over that that feast of matchups right there. Uh, Well, coming up at 325, Gruden's Grinders taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, two teams with relatively new locations. Um, in Vegas, again, uh, you know, I'll pose this to Ben. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they pose a gigantic threat to the Chiefs uh, in terms of winning that division, but you know, I've been you know quietly impressed with the way Las Vegas has handled business this year. Yeah, they're solid. They're solid. They're a solid group. Derek Carr's played pretty well. Uh, Josh Jacobs hasn't quite gotten it going yet offensively, but they're still trying. He's getting. 20 30 carries a game when he's healthy and their defense has been okay so yeah i think they're 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 trying to make it work and and they're they're competitive in about every single game they play which is all you can ask for that's right that game of course at 325 just a couple more to get through uh also at 325 the undefeated 7-0 pittsburgh steelers taking on the dismal dismal dallas cowboys sitting at two and six uh i i don't see pittsburgh losing the a game just yet not against Dallas not the way they're down their what third string quarterback now has Dalton uh, been unconcussed yet I don't know what's going on there. I think he's on the COVID list now yes. so it's either Ben DiNucci or Garrett Gilbert they, getting oh yeah. the ball against the the steel curtain they've said they're they're starting Garrett Gilbert they did not like how the Ben DiNucci experiment went against <laughs> Philadelphia so they're on to uh an AFL AFL veteran oh boy go get him young man go get him yeah uh <laughs> That is a, a, a surely a primetime matchup. Uh, another game at 325, the Dolphins taking on the Cardinals. And this one actually uh, kind of exciting. You got Kyler Murray squaring off with Tua. Uh, I was surprised a little bit when Miami decided to go from Ryan Fitzpatrick, which, which you know, he was playing just okay, but the, that things seemed to be working out. Uh, now they've gone with Tua. Uh, ben, do you think the switch to Mr. Tagovailoa will pay off in the end? I don't know. He didn't He didn't blow me away in his first start. I think he finished with like 90 passing yards, a couple of turnovers. Got a couple of huge plays from his defense. He's going to need to play a little bit better, but it's his first start. Let's let him play a little bit before we pass judgment on what type of pro he's going to be. Fair enough. And then capping things off with Sunday Night Football at 720, the Saints taking on the Buccaneers. And I could be wrong. I do believe Drew Brees not going to be available, I don't think. I think he is playing. I think oh, I can see a report that he's playing, yeah. All right, well, he is He is going to play. Hopefully he plays. Yeah, uh, and then Tampa Bay, of course, reuniting uh, with Tampa Bay, rather, uh, reuniting with AB. Uh, so plenty of intrigue in this one. Uh, with Drew Brees playing, uh, Tampa Bay slight favorites at four and a half points. Um, but the the Bucks have been known to lay an egg. Uh, Austin, how do you see this one shaping out? Sorry, Carson, my younger brother. He's a Saints fan. I think Tampa Bay has just enough. New Orleans has been solid, and I probably should trust them a little bit more, but I think Tampa Bay's got a good game in them on Sunday night football. I think Antonio Brown makes a little bit of an impact. I don't know if he scores or makes a difference in the game, but I think Levante, David, and Dumpkins, who are enough to help Tampa Bay over the edge. 
And that'll do it for the weekend preview. Nice. Thanks, Tim. Good stuff. A lot of football this weekend. And uh, I'll be parked in front of a TV for most of it as uh, the Huskers and Cats get going at 11 and then a whole bunch of games to follow. Appreciate that. Winners and losers time. Timmy, who you got? Well, uh, my loser of the week, and I'm probably stealing this from you guys, how about the Boston Red Sox hiring back Alex Cora after the sign-stealing scandal, but doing it, of course, in the midst of a presidential election as the votes are still being counted. Uh, I think they knew what they were doing in terms of the timing of this announcement. Look, I I understand you want yourself a winner. I think Alex Cora is a good manager, but uh, yeesh. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Winner? My winner of the week, how about Bob Lee, the general of ESPN, ripping his former employer on Twitter? Uh, you know, it's always a good thing when uh, when networks and, and other people prioritize their people. ESPN did not do that. They laid off all a bunch of employees, and it's good to see Bob getting after him for that, telling them to enjoy their stock price. Look, uh, Bob's a good guy, and glad he's sticking up for his colleagues. Yeah. Austin, how about you? All right. Winner of the week for me is Mets fans. They're out of the Wilpons grasps, and Steve Cohen has money he seems willing to spend. So congrats, Mets fans. Maybe you can get uh, James Dolan gone next. My loser of the week, the Pac-12, having to cancel two games. That's very first week, not exactly starting out with a bang out west. Yeah, my loser of the week, I'll trump at college football. Nine cancellations. My winner of the week, Josh's fantasy team. Just crushing everybody right now and ruining everybody's dreams. Tough, tough scenes. Thanks to everybody that was a part of this one. Greg Sharpie and Rappaport, Will Honus. Uh, Thanks to Austin. Thanks to Tim. Thanks to all of you for listening. Husker football, 6 a.m. Bright and early. Huskers and Cats will kick after 11. We're back with you for a full week of Sports Nightly on Monday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Hopefully the Huskers on top.